Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Judge Jackson wouldn't address broad patterns in her rulings because she said it was unfair. An endless circle of evasion. The Senate is on track to have Judge Jackson confirmed as Justice Jackson. Putin's invasion of Ukraine, we can see the spread of chemical weapons into our countries. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. We are in day two of the Children's Miracle Network Radiothon, which will go to support James and Connie Maynard's Children's Hospital at Biden Medical Center. And uh, you still have time to contribute to the total. The number to call is 1-800-673-KIDS. That's one 800 Six seven three fifty four thirty seven, or you can text ENC Kids to fifty one five five five. That's fifty one five five five. And uh, thanks to those who have already given. And if you haven't yet, and you'd like to, we'd love to hear from you. The uh, situation across Eastern North Carolina is the pollen is in full swing. Oh my goodness! I was at a uh, baseball game for my two grandsons. We're playing in yesterday evening. I was shocked that we got it in with the rain, but nonetheless, they did. At one point, there was a gust of wind, and if if you know where Elm Street Park is, you know that there's a lot of big old pine trees right around that park, and uh, the it looked like green smoke coming out of the trees. It was it was thick, and on the way to the studio today, wow, it was uh, a lot of green in the air. So the pine trees are in full bloom. I've been talking this week, brought it up several times, the stories that are out about our Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson and his wife Yolanda and the fact that when Mark was 20 years old, it was before they got married, Yolanda got pregnant, and Mark paid for an abortion. And WRAL, the Charlotte Observer, the News and Observer, any left-wing media outlet is basically trying to vilify Mark Robinson. I am happy to say that uh, along with news and views, there have been a number of outlets that have come to the defense of Mark Robinson's, uh, both he and she. And uh, Jason Williams, for example, executive director of the socially conservative organization NC Faith and Freedom Coalition, released a statement saying, Quote, some of North Carolina's most effective and outspoken pro-life advocates are those who fully understand the emotional, physical, and spiritual impacts of abortion because they have personally received or supported an abortion. We are grateful for the unwavering commitment from Lieutenant Governor Robinson to protect life, including the unborn. And, you know, it's true. If you've known anybody that has received an abortion, now, I, I, I'm not saying everybody is, is in this category, but people that have received abortions and and have regretted the decision for the rest of their lives. And that's pretty much where the Robinsons are. The liberal media has taken the stance that they have no right to speak about the abortion issue from a conservative standpoint, from a pro-life standpoint, because they once participated in it. And the point that Jason Williams is making is a valid one. Uh, perhaps they have more of a right because they regret it and they've gone through it and they know the pain of it. 
One commentator on Twitter said, I don't understand why someone can't be against something if they've ever done that same thing before. This person said, I used to steal cars. I was pretty good at it, too. Took a black caddy to my ninth grade dance. But at 46 years old, I don't want my car stolen. You know what's interesting about this? And the Republican Party really hasn't come out with any kind of official comment. And uh, by the way, I I put a uh, call in to uh, Mark to give him the opportunity to respond to this on our program. I haven't heard back from him yet, but perhaps next week we will. Um, The North Carolina Democratic Party, however, released a statement on Twitter saying, quote, people from all walks of life and political parties have experiences with abortion. After years of anti-choice policies at North Carolina GOP, they ought to offer the same respect and privacy to every pregnant person's health and care decisions that they are giving to the Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. And to that, I said this yesterday, to that I would say they are. I, I, I really do not, I, I, I'm sure they're out there. I haven't any, any personal contacts with anybody that attacks the person receiving the abortion. In fact, I would say that there's sympathy and empathy that goes out to those people. That's why you have so many pro-life ministries that are are going beyond saying, let us help you. Let us help you walk through uh, and and provide for you the the things that you're going to need as as a mom, a mom and a dad, or uh, let us help you consider adoption. Let us show you that this is a living human being that's your own flesh and blood. And it's not out of condemnation. It's out of love for, for the mom and dad, but out of love for the child. And, and here's what I would like to ask you. Could you please give that compassion to the Mark and Rolanda Robinson? All right, enough on that. President Biden and Ursula von der Leyen, president of the European Commission, announced in Brussels today that the U.S. and European Union will be launching a joint task force to help Europe pull away from its reliance on Russian gas. Biden said that Russian President Vladimir Putin uses energy to coerce and manipulate his neighbors and uses the profits from its sales to drive his war machine. And you didn't know that, President Biden, back when you were all gung-ho and reversed the sanctions that Trump had put on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline? Donald Trump seemed to know this before the attack to Ukraine took place. But you went in and undid everything that Donald Trump said was the right move. Uh, Do you regret that now? Uh, He said it's not only the right thing to do from a moral standpoint, but it's going to put us in a stronger strategic footing. The task force will work to ensure energy security for Ukraine and the European Union in preparation for next winter and the following one while supporting the EU's goal to end its dependence on Russian fossil fuels, the White House said in a statement. Under the plan, the United States and other nations will increase liquefied natural gas exports to Europe by 15 billion cubic meters this year. Even larger shipments will be delivered in the future. Quote, it's going to take some time to adjust gas supply chains and infrastructure that were built for the last decade, 
So you're going to have to make sure the families in Europe can get through this winter and next while we're building an infrastructure for a diversified, resilient, and clean energy future. Biden already announced that the U.S. would ban imports of Russian gas and oil early this month because of the war in Ukraine. The task force's two main goals will be to diversify liquefied natural gas supplies in alignment with climate objectives. So what does that mean? Um, first of all, of the fossil fuels, natural gas, we have plenty of, and it is the cleanest fuel to burn. In fact, if we went to just natural gas, the carbon footprint would decrease. This idea that we're going to electric when you have to burn fossil fuels to get electric, uh, let's go straight gas. So, but what exactly does this mean, uh, President Biden? Are you going to increase U.S. gas and oil exploration? Are you going to increase pumping? Are you going to increase overall production? Let's see. Uh, is, is this means, I, I guess, if that's the answer, it means Donald Trump was on the right course to begin with? And uh, you shut it down? Biden made it clear when he was campaigning that he was going to declare war on America's oil and gas industries he reversed Donald Trump's energy policy in his first week in office. Within a year, our country was no longer energy independent. We're now dependent on other countries, including our adversaries, to meet our country's, our own country's demand for oil. And now uh, Biden is saying we're going to export. You know what? If you're going to increase production, great. That's what we should have been doing all along. Go back to Donald Trump's policies that you condemned. You condemned during the campaign. I was just listening to some of the, the give and take in some of those campaign debates that he had with Donald Trump. And he was unwavering. He was bragging about the fact that he was going to shut down the oil industry. Unbelievable. Uh, lots to talk about today. We've got um, a good interview coming up. Uh, Shannon Bream, who is with uh, Fox News, as you probably know. Um, she's going to be joining us shortly here. Uh, we're expecting her call any minute. Uh, before we get to that, though, let me remind you again that we are in the midst of our Children's Miracle Network Radiothon, raising support for James and Connie Maynard's Children's Hospital. If you, if you would like to contribute, that number to call is 1-800-673-KIDS. You can see that on your screen. Uh, or the numerals, 1-800-673-5437. Thanks to Eastern North Carolina for all your generosity, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you if you haven't called in already. The totals will uh, be calculated, and we will announce them uh, on Monday's program, as you can uh, also hear those numbers on Henry Hinton's program in the morning, on Monday morning. Again, that number, one 800 673-KIDS or 1-800-673-5437. We have Shannon on the line. We do. Uh, Shannon Bream this week has been leading Fox News coverage of the uh, Brown-Jackson Supreme Court confirmation while working double duty hosting Fox News at night. She's also an author and a just up the road Liberty University alum. Go Flames. Shannon, welcome to News and Views. Good to have you with us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. You bet. Listen, um, thanks for carving out a few minutes. Uh, yeah, your your schedule's got to be pretty tight. I do want to talk to you about your new book coming out, um, but let me first get your just a quick overview of what you thought of this week's Supreme Court confirmation process. 
Do you think the overall process that we've seen unfold, not only in this week's confirmation process, but the, the last several Supreme Court nominee processes of confirmation, do you think this is what our founding fathers envisioned when they uh, taught, you know, put, put in place Article 2, Section 2, Clause 2, advising consent? I, I'm not sure that they did. We have to remind folks that for a long time, the nominee never showed up to the hearing. I mean, they weren't even there for the voters to right. get any questions right. asked or anything else. So what we have over the last few decades is, you know, some people think political theater, a bit of a circus. Um, and we're so far off from the days where a nominee, um, you know, back even with Justice Ginsburg and Scalia, you know, like 90 to 10 or 85 to 15 kind of votes. Um, it's now become partisan warfare for a lot of people. And so it often becomes much more about, you know, the political things, the midterms, than it does about the actual nominee. And so many of these are party line votes. And, um, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I'm not sure that the founders would have envisioned it to be what it is today. Well, and it's you got to sort of dissect through it. I mean, it's it's not what they say. Sometimes it's what they don't say. And it seems like that's more pronounced than what they do say. Yeah, and you you got to go into this as a nominee with the thought of do no harm. I mean, yeah. perhaps they do these so-called murder boards where people are grilling you and firing you, you know, all kinds of questions, um, personal and professional. And I think what they have to do is um, be very careful with their answers, which points to what you said there of not saying things um, and, and just sort of trying to keep the field as open and as neutral as possible so that when they do have a case that comes before them, people won't be able to point back to the confirmation hearing saying, well, they said X, Y, Z then, and they voted differently now, and, you know, all those kinds of things. So there are traps everywhere, and the nominee uh, does his or her best to avoid falling into one of them for about a week. You know, it might be a, not a bad idea not to televise these debates just to have the candidate uh, or the nominee go and talk to the senators in their offices and then have the senators get together off camera and, and talk about it because it has become a circus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's why, you know, a lot of people think the Supreme Court doesn't televise its hearings. I mean, the members yeah. have been very resistant to that. And, you know, the chatter among the justices, some of them has been this idea that people will showboat for the cameras, the lawyers, different people will play to that. And for them, they're one of the few places in the world that doesn't have a live feed uh, with video into what's going on there. We've had the audio the last couple of years because of the pandemic. Um, But it is a different situation when you know that people will be able to pull sound bites and clips and use them in, you know, campaign ads and that kind of thing. So um, I don't know that you're going to unring the bell now that we see them on TV, (laughs) but uh, I can understand the argument for that. Let's talk about your work as an author, which I find fascinating that you have time to do this. Your first book came out in 2019, Finding the Bright Side, The Art of Chasing What Matters. That was followed up yet last year by Women of the Bible Speak. And your new book comes out next week, The Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak. It sounds like uh, this third book is a follow-up to the second book. Uh, Tell us what the reader can expect. Well, you're going to see um, a lot of family relationships, some of them very good uh, and healthy and faithful, and others that are really dysfunctional and flawed and messed up. Um, but that's the perspective this, of this book, is looking at faith through these relationships between women and uh, as parents and, and children and as spiritual mothers and daughters, too. I mean, we look at Naomi and Ruth, who, of course, were related through marriage, but essentially became mother and daughter when Ruth gave that speech about following her mother-in-law after they'd both been widowed. 
back to Naomi's homeland. It's used in a lot of marriage ceremonies, you know, where you go, I will go, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. And that was this impassioned daughter-in-law to her mother-in-law saying, I'm going to stick with you through the worst possible situation. So we see those strong bonds too. But what we learn is that the things that are so difficult in life now um, are not new to God. I mean, He's been ever-present in them, whether it's widowhood or war or famine or health issues, um, really horrible in-laws, um, like, you know, in the case of David and Saul and yeah. Saul's daughter, Michael, um, you know, Saul trying to kill David. It, it, you may not like your in-laws, but as long as they're not trying to repeatedly murder you, uh, <laughs> you're in better shape than, than, than some of the folks in this book. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because the Bible doesn't uh, try to— um, you know, make something out of something. In other words, they, they present the warts and all in all the characters of the Bible. Mm-hmm. When yeah, you... and what a comforting thing. Yeah. I mean, to me, I think about that because we're all flawed. I have to pray for forgiveness every day, and um, I'm, I'm grateful for the mercy that is shown to me um, because we all need it. None of us is perfect. No one perfect in the Bible but Jesus So if God was only going to work through people who had no flaws and no sin, he'd have nobody else left. So I find it encouraging that in these stories we see people who make bad decisions, get way off track, and yet God can still work through that. And he sees their journey. He's ever-present. And it just like he is now, just like he was then. We're talking to Shannon Bream of Fox News, who's come out with a new book. Comes out next week. And uh, is is this— is this book, uh, Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak, is it designed as casual reading or a Bible study, a group Bible study? How would you uh, describe it? Yeah, I mean, you could do any of those things. Um, I, I crafted study questions for each of the stories so that okay. you could dig in a little bit deeper, find application to your own life. Uh, with the last book, I heard from a lot of people who did it as a church Bible study or the neighborhood book club or just studied on their own. I mean, my hope is that people, whether they, um, like me, grew up in the Church, in the Bible, will learn new things about these women and be newly inspired, because I certainly learned a ton after feeling like I knew them and I knew their stories. Or if you're somebody who, you know, you're intimidated to pick up the Bible, you don't want to leaf through the Old Testament and start reading for Samuel, uh, or, you know, you might be somebody who would want to pick up these books and say, um, oh my goodness, I didn't realize there were stories about women like this in the Bible, but they're there, and so we're just trying to share them in a different way. You know, as a casual observation, it would appear to me that while you don't flaunt your Christian faith, neither do you hide it, how do you uh, how do you wear your uh, love and commitment for Jesus Christ in the workplace, and how do your coworkers respond? You know, I, I feel very blessed that I'm in a workplace that publishes books like this, and they know our viewers and our audience are faithful people who need this kind of encouragement right. uh, and look forward to it. Um, you know, I like you said, I, I'm very open about my faith because it's the most important thing for me. It's the greatest comfort and the biggest compass in my life. And I find that, you know, my coworkers um, were all starting to get back in the office. But even, you know, pre-COVID, I had people in and out of my office all the time who would say, I'm not a quote-unquote religious person or I don't pray, but I know that you do. And I have this crisis in my life. Will you pray for me or pray for my family or whatever it is? And I'm humbled by that. I count it a great honor if people are in a struggle or um, they're fearful or whatever's going on in their life that um, they would come to me and say, okay, you're a person of faith, um, please pray. So um, I, I just, uh, I'm grateful for that. Um, people can have faith or not have faith in the workplace, and there seems to be space for all of us there. 
how did you have time? I mean, you've got a podcast. You're you're doing uh, <laughs> more than eight hours a day. I'm quite certain. How in the world did you have time to write these books? It does take a little divine intervention. I'm convinced <laughs> of that. Um, you know, because when I'm doing a book, it's sort of like my friends and family and everybody know that I sort of disappear. I already work a lot, which I love um, what I do, so it doesn't feel overwhelming to me. But when you throw a book into the mix. Um, you really have to shut everything else down. Like you're not meeting for people for lunch or for dinner. You're not going to a football game. I mean, you're just, it's lockdown time. So, um, and there are people that I rely on who are, you know, true scholars, people who've been to seminary that I can call up and they let me bug them endlessly. What does this mean in Greek or Hebrew or what's the backstory? What was the custom of the time just to give me better understanding and context for these stories. And I really love the research part of it and the writing too, but I end up feeling like I know these women personally by the time this is over, and I really hope that's how it will feel to readers, too. Great. Shannon, how can the people get the books? Is it going to be at the at the normal places, uh, Barnes & Noble, et cetera? Yep. Very good. Shannon Bream. Amazon, anywhere you go to get books. Sounds great. Thanks for joining us. Look forward to reading it. Thank you. You bet. Stay with us. We'll be right back. to the show that really makes you think. He is a genius. He's all-powerful. He brought a kind of heat. He could be the best. Just don't hurt yourself, okay? More news and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right. Taking a quick look at your weekend weather forecast. Uh, Tonight, mostly cloudy, then becoming clear. A little cool tonight, around 46. Sunshine on Saturday. Breezy, high near 62. Tomorrow night, mostly clear, low around 38. A little chilly. Sunday, highs only at 56, but lots of sunshine. So all in all, a little cool, but uh, lots of sunshine over the weekend. We are in the midst of our Children's Miracle Radio Network Radiothon. And uh, if you want to contribute, we are in the last hour of the Radiothon. The number to call is 1-800-673-KIDS. That's one 800 673-5437. With me right now is the Director of Development for the Children's Miracle Network, Rhonda James. Welcome in. Hey, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, you're probably worn out after two full days of a radiothon. It's a labor of love. How's it going? It's going great. You know, we we look forward to this event every year. We see, um, you know, we're calling, you know, family. We see, you know, the donors out there who support our radiothon, support our children's hospital year after year. When I see those folks' names come up on the bottom of the screen, it just warms my heart because I know that... Um, they know that their donations are making a difference and they've entrusted us with those dollars. How many years have this, this the Radiothon been happening now? This is our 25th year. Wow. Yep. That's hard to believe. 25th year. Um, we've had the Children's Miracle Network program's been here in Eastern North Carolina. We're getting ready to celebrate our 37th year. How many years have you been doing it? Um, this is number 17. Wow. Um, so this is my 17th year. Of course, you started when you were 16. Yeah. I mean, I was just, I mean, just, <laughs> just a merely child. a baby. Um, but yeah, I just um, celebrated my 17th anniversary with the hospital. And, um, you know, through that time, I started out. Um, you know, as we got ready to build the new children's hospital. And um, it's just, you know, again, a labor of love. You know, this past, these two past two days are, t- you know, difficult. We're on the air for 12 hours um, straight, 
each day. Um, and you've already always have to be sharp. It, and you've done a good job. Well, by I know, the way. Yesterday they were asking me to like add numbers in my head. I was like, "Well, time out. I've been <laughs> up since four a.m." Um, but you know, it's it, you know, again, we do what we do. You know, I'm, I'm not clinical by any stretch of the imagination. There's no way that I can be. Um, but it warms my heart when I walk over to the children's hospital and I walk the halls and just know I had a small part in that. How involved? was the children's miracle network and the actual building of the children's hospital the james and connie mannard children's hospital critical um you know cmn dollars um were used in the construction of that project it was about a 50 million dollar about a 50 million dollar project um and Children's Miracle Network dollars for about three years were dedicated solely um, everything that we raised to go into the construction of that. Have you ever uh, taken the time to add up what all the years of the Radiothon has produced? The Radiothon in total has p- produced just under $4 million. Wow. Our CMN program overall has um, raised over, over $30 million. Let me give that number again if you'd like to contribute. We're in the last hour of the Children's Miracle Radio Network Radio Fund for the James and Connie Maynard Children's Hospital. That's a mouthful. <laughs> the number to call is 1-800-673-5437. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are we going to surpass your goal for this you know, year? You know, we we certainly are hoping that we are. We're on get track. some last minute calls. Yeah, we're going to get some last minute calls in, and you know, I'd like encourage for all the folks who are watching right now to know that you know our phone operators are there till six. So you know, pick up the phone and call. But we've also made it super easy. You can go to any of the Interbanks Media Stations websites and donate, or at any time you can text. ENC Kids to 51555. Um, you know, these donations. One thing that you know, I just want to stress because we can't stress it enough is that a hundred percent. So every dollar I just talked about that we've raised, a hundred percent of the donations that come into our Children's Miracle Network program here um, go directly to support James and Connie Maynard Children's Hospital. So, you know, whoever's listening to us right now, if they call in a hundred dollar pledge, a five dollar pledge, a five hundred dollar, whatever the amount, every single dollar of that is going to go to directly support programs and services. You know. And it's important to remember because there are organizations out there that a percentage yeah. goes to overhead, and yeah. you're saying 100 percent. 100 percent. We take, you know, we take absolutely nothing um, off of those donations. So if you donate, you know, if you donate 100 dollars, that 100 dollars is going to go towards something um, within the hospital. And you know, we talked a little bit yesterday, um, and we've talked, you know, throughout the day today about it, but. These the, these dollars go for big and small. Okay, so if you're a child in the hospital, we had one of our um, one of our teens. She's 17. She's a um, she's a, a cancer patient, and she made the comment. She's like, you know, it gets kind of boring, <laughs> you know, when she's over there and she's having her treatment, she's having her chemotherapy, and she's there for hours and hours on mm-hmm. end. To have an arts and crafts project, to have a video game, to have a movie means the world to a child like that. Right. You know, right up to life saving pieces of equipment. So, um, ECBO, please don't ask me. Please don't ask me what that stands for because it's a really, really long word. Um, but basically, it's heart-lung bypass. Mm. And so for fragile children who um, need highly intensive care, we can put them on heart-lung bypass to rest their heart and lungs while they're recovering from whatever it is that yeah. they're having. And CMN dollars help to pay for that. So, you know, these dollars make just an incredible difference when you go into well let's say for this 2022 radiothon Mm -hmm. is there a specific project that you say okay we would like to uh 
raise X number of dollars because we want to do this project. You know what the you know where the dollars are going to go for this year. We Radio do. Fund? We know you know pretty much where the dollars are going to go for the past couple of years, and we've talked about this. And um, hopefully, those who follow the James and Connie Maynard Children's Hospital Facebook page and um, other social media have seen that dollars from the past couple years Radiothon went towards a new pediatric intensive care unit. Um, so we, we it's important for events like this for us to show people where their money went because we want to be 100% transparent and that your dollars are really going where we say they are. So going into an event like this year, we know that we, um, we're in the need for new isolates in our neonatal intensive care unit. Now, what's an isolate? An isolate um, is, imagine a bassinet, mm-hmm. um, but on steroids. Okay. <laughs> so this isolate can can um, regulate body temperature for a NICU for a uh, neonatal child. So a child who's born prematurely, um, those isolates um, they're about. a piece um, to purchase one of those. Um, And they regulate body temperature. They're the closest thing you can get to a womb other Mm -hmm, than, you mm -hmm. know, other than the womb. And, you know, a child that's born, you know, 40 weeks is your, is your average gestation. So your average healthy pregnancy is going to go at 40 weeks. So for a child that's born at, 28 weeks. They're going to be in our children's hospital for about 12 weeks um, at minimum before it's time for them to go home. And for those first several days and weeks, it's critical. You know, their, their skin, you can't touch them. Their skin hasn't fully formed. Um, you can literally see their veins. Um, they need a very protective environment, and these isolates provide mm. that. We know that um, we're in the need of, to purchase some of those. Transport. You know, we, I think one of the things, okay, the Children's Hospital is located right here in Greenville, but this is Eastern Carolina's right. Children's Hospital. We serve 29 counties. Um, another critical um, need for our Children's Miracle Network dollars this coming year is transport equipment. You know, we have air, we have helicopters, we have ground transport units. Um, time matters. So when a child is born prematurely in the region, if a child is in a car accident um, it, out in the region, if a child, you know, has an ATV accident, we're coming up um, on the summer months, drownings. God forbid, shark bites. We've had those mm, over the mm, past. Mm. You know, get time matters, and getting those children here to the children's hospital is critical. Um, so there's some very highly specialized pieces of equipment that we need for the helicopters, that we need for those ground transport units. Um, so CMN dollars make it possible to have those things that we wouldn't otherwise have. Well, and again, for those people that would think and just say, well, you know, th- there's stuff at the hospital. For the moms and dads and the children that are going through this, and uh, when they when they look at what is available to keep the kids safe and healthy and recovering, you know, I'm sure there's a big sigh of oh, thank goodness for those dollars coming in. Yeah, we hope that all the people who are listening to us right now never have to have Bingo. that experience. Um, we hope they never have to come into the children's hospital and hope that you know, consider this an insurance policy that you hope you'll never have to exactly. you know, you'll never have to use. Um, but right this moment, we've got a hundred and twenty six children, I believe was the last count I heard, 126 kids that are in our children's hospital right this minute. Um, And I can promise you every Mm. parent that's over there will thank you if you pick up the phone and call. Well, you've got 26 minutes to call the number 1-800-673-5437. Rhonda James, thanks for stopping by. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Give us a call. Again, that number 1-800-673-5437.
I'll be right back. you think he is a genius he's all powerful he brought a kind of heat he could be the best just don't hurt yourself okay more news and views on talk 96.3 and 103.7 and we are in the midst of the children's miracle radio network radiothon if you'd like to contribute uh, every penny of your contribution will go to the james and connie maynard children's hospital the number to call, you've got, uh, what, 23 minutes left before it comes to a close. The number to call, 1-800-673-5437. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. PJ Media is reporting an interesting phenomenon is taking place, which shouldn't surprise us. I mean, common sense would tell you this ought to be taking place. Uh, probably the question is, why isn't it happening more? It's a trend that began in the last few years really started with a pandemic and uh, you had the pandemic, then you had the riots and you had the burning of the cities. And what would you expect to happen out of all that? America's largest cities, primarily in the North and the Northwest, the Northeast, Northwest, and the Midwest for that matter, um, they're experiencing incredible shrinking population numbers. Chicago, San Francisco, Los Angeles, that's not a northern city. New York City combined lost 700,000 residents just in 2021. Meanwhile, Phoenix, Houston, Dallas, Austin, and Atlanta gained more than 300,000. What's really interesting is the cities that are growing with phenomenal rates. I mean, right here in eastern North Carolina, eastern North Carolina, eastern South Carolina, we've seen Incredible growth. Wilmington, Greenville, Raleigh is one of the fastest growing cities in the United States. In fact, I think it wasn't the last year the fastest growing population wise, I mean, percentage wise. Uh, interesting. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina is one of the fastest growing cities in the United States. Boise, Idaho. Overall, our population growth, which uh, we're almost in negative territory. The nation grew at a rate of 0.1%. That's the slowest on record. But um, these major cities, and what's going to be interesting about this is a lot of these cities are so poorly run. The management of these cities is so poorly run that uh, they're going belly up. Well, now with all their giveaway programs, you, listen, the people that are leaving are primarily the people that can afford to leave. The people that are staying don't have a choice. They're trying to survive in these cities. They're the ones that, frankly, are not contributing to the tax base. What does that mean? It means that the financial condition of these cities are just going to worsen. I mean, again, first of all, they're, they're, they're run by Democrats who don't have a clue of how to balance a budget. 
They think every they think money grows on trees, and let's, the, the more giveaway programs they can come up with, they think it's going to keep them. While they do it in the name of compassion, uh, they they they're, they're really doing it to buy your vote with your money. But uh, th- these cities are just going to be in terrible shape. If obviously, if you're listening to this radio broadcast. Over the airways, you're in eastern North Carolina. Be thankful you're in eastern North Carolina. <laughs> I thank the Lord just about every day for that fact. Fox News is reporting on an article that USA Today put out. Uh, boy, and you've seen so many. I, and there was one yesterday we talked about out of the Washington Post. This went viral yesterday, suggesting that Judge Katanji Brown Jackson was correct. Quote, it is not easy to provide a definition for the word woman. After all, she said, I'm not a biologist. The piece published in USA Today on Thursday tackled the subject of running by running the headline, Marsha Blackburn asked Tenji Brown Jackson to define woman. Quote, science says there's no simple answer. By the way, these are the same people that told us when they were bound and determined to shut down the entire planet during COVID, that we must follow the science. (laughs) USA Today wrote, scientists, gender law scholars, gender law scholars, and philosophers of biology. Oh, that that is so squishy. (laughs) They're going to go talk to gender law scholars and philosophers of biology. How about just a biologist? Could you ask them? They said Jackson's response was commendable, though perhaps misleading. It's useful, they say, that Jackson suggested science could help answer Blackburn's question, but they note that a competent biologist would not be able to offer a definitive answer either. Scientists agree there's no sufficient way to clearly define what makes someone a woman And with billions of women on the planet, there is much variation. (laughs) Yeah, your extreme woke scientists might say that. Again, though, where do they go to? Scientists, gender law scholars, and philosophers. Philosophers of biology. While traditional notions of sex and gender suggest a simple binary, if you're born with a Uncle Albert, you're a male and identify as a female. If you're born with a vagina, you're a female and identify as a woman. The reality gender experts say, again, why does USA Today go to gender experts? They say it's more complex. The paper quoted Bernard College gender studies scholar Rebecca Jordan-Young, who praised Jackson's pretty good answer for stressing that, quote, context matters when it comes to disputes the nominee may rule on. Quote, there isn't one single biological answer to the definition of a woman. There's not even a single biological answer to the question of what is female, Jordan Young said, pointing to at least six biological markers of sex in the body, which includes genitals, chromosomes, gonads, internal reproductive structures, hormone ratios, whatever that is, and secondary sex characteristics. What is that? Secondary sex characteristics. In other words, oh, I think I identify as uh, whatever. I mean, the first few, you're on target. I mean, that was actually a, a, a biological scientific answer. 
But when you get to secondary sex characteristics, which could mean anything, uh, I don't think you're carrying me along with you. Wheaton College Gender Studies professor. Where do we get these gender college professors? Wheaton College Gender Studies professor Kate Mason swiped Blackburn telling USA Today that, quote, talking of Blackburn, Blackburn would prefer a world in which reality was much simpler. Simpler? How about a world that was much more accurate? Uh, yeah, it, 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 it ought to be fairly. Who, who's made it complicated? Who's made it complicated? Give me a definition of a woman. Who's making it complicated? It's not Marsha Blackburn. We've got to take another time out. Stay with us. I'll be right back. I could tell today's message was really important. Ready your decoder rings. Aha, B. The first letter is B. U, I. It was getting easier now. L, D, build. Build what? Hurry up in there. What was it? The fate of the country may hang in the balance. Decode the day's news. Build back. Better? A crummy socialist bill. With Tom and Benny on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. By the way, people keep asking me, where is Benny? Uh, Benny's doing tax returns. <laughs> He'll be back in a few days. Uh-huh. uh-huh. By the way, we are in, uh, just a reminder, in the midst of the Children's Miracle Network Radiothon, supporting James and Connie Manders Children's Hospital that serves 29 counties, pretty much our entire listening area. And uh, if you would like to contribute, the number to call is 1-800-673-5437. Well, here we go again. Remember when we had uh, Taylor Keith on, the Pitt County parent, that uh, discovered there were books in the libraries that were totally inappropriate. And in fact, his daughter, which I believe she was in middle school at the time, uh, had required reading of material that was inappropriate. It's happened once again. I mean, these so-called isolated incidents seem to be popping up all over the nation. A Georgia school board member cut off a mother reading sexually explicit content from a book available to high school students in the district, saying the passage was inappropriate for any children to potentially hear. Uh, the Cherokee County School Board member identified as Patsy Jordan told the upset mother, uh, excuse me, we have children at home. The school board member pointed out that the meeting was being live streamed and said the reading of the passage was, quote, inappropriate. The parents said, uh, yeah, don't you find that rather ironic? You're saying exactly what I'm telling you. You're giving it to our children. I would never give this to our children. The parent at the meeting recounted to the board that the process of removing books from school libraries is lengthy. She said the current wait time for a review of a book reaches to November of this year and books under review remain available to students until the review is complete. What is so hard about it? Why should it take six, eight months to remove a book that's pornographic from the high school library? Here's the book. I'm reading the book to the the school board parents. Go in and remove the book from the library. It ought to be able to happen with as long as it takes to walk from where the meeting is taking place, get in your car, drive over to school, pull the bulk. I mean, it ought to be able to be done in 15, 20 minutes, an hour at the outside. 
But no, oh, oh, we have to go through all kinds of rigmarole. The parents said, this all happened under your watch. Maybe if you spent more time reading these books instead of calculating the statistical demographics of those submitting the books, you wouldn't be grooming our children. You're saying that we're embarrassing you? Well, you're embarrassing us and our kids. It's not okay. You were supposed to be giving them a safe space in school. These books, if I can't email them to you, if I can't say them, they shouldn't be in our school. And with that, what is the response of the school board? <laughs> like clockwork. Uh, ma'am, your time is up. Thank you very much for your comments. Your time is up. Uh, if you don't sit down, we'll get the sheriff to come take you away. Yeah. Uh, afterwards, the school board said, well, you know, this doesn't make any difference. This, this woman's children aren't even in high school. Guess what? The students in high school are still minors. It's inappropriate for anybody to be reading this garbage. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, this out of town hall, fresh off his botched handling of the Freedom Convoy protest and his government's policies surrounding COVID-19 pandemic, may have thought a trip abroad to address the European Parliament would be a nice reprieve from his criticism at home. Uh, didn't happen. Rather, two members of the European Parliament laid into Trudeau, comparing him to a dictator. <laughs> yeah, attacking his gall to speak about threats to democracy after his own actions in Canada. Quote, it would have been more appropriate for Mr. Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, to address this house according to Article 144, an article which was specifically designed to debate violations of human rights, democracy, and the rule of law, which is clearly the case Mr. Trudeau, of Mr. Trudeau, said Germ, German MEP Christine Anderson. Quote, then again, a prime minister who openly admires the Chinese basic dictatorship, who tramples on fundamental rights by persecuting and criminalizing his own citizens as terrorists just because they dared to stand up to his perverted concept of democracy, should not be allowed to speak to us in this house at all. Mr. Trudeau, you are a disgrace for any democracy. Please spare us from your presence. Uh, Anderson wasn't the only one. MEP Mislav Kolokuska from uh, Croatia also torched Trudeau for his handling of the Freedom Convoy, saying, quote, Canada, once a symbol of the modern world, has become a symbol of civil rights violations under your quasi-liberal boot in recent months. Freedom, the right to choose, the right to life, the right to health, the right to work, for many of us, are fundamental human rights for which millions of citizens of Europe and the world have laid down their lives, Kulakusak noted. So defend our rights and the rights of our children, which we have acquired over the centuries. Many of us, including myself, are willing to risk our own freedoms and our lives, he added. Unfortunately, today, there are those among us who trample on these fundamental rights and values. Wow. <laughs> Uh, I would say that uh, Justin Trudeau um, received a spanking from the European Parliament. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm happy. I'm grateful that these people are speaking up. 
Photojournalist Erica Denhoff has alleged that NBC's Today Show photoshopped her work to make transgender swimmer Leah Thomas, also William, isn't it William Thomas? Is that his name? Look more feminine. Denhoff has told the Washington Examiner this week that she was surprised and disappointed by the March 17th segment's revision to which she said the outlet softened Thomas's features. She initially thought something was wrong with the video when her photos aired, but then realized, wait a minute, these changes are intentional. I mean, this is a professional photojournalist. And, and frankly, uh, it's inappropriate for her work to be tampered with. She said, I pride myself on providing authentic images as a photojournalist. Then, by the way, uh, I, I don't know what this woman's politics are. She's African-American, and uh, they have stepped all over her um, professional rights. She says, it's really important as photojournalists that we transmit authentic photos that have not been altered. She said she immediately compared her original photographs of Thomas and easily notices the difference. The examiner reported the, exchange, uh, the changes quickly went viral on social media after seemingly noticing the airbrushing of Thomas in comparison to Denhoff's original photographs. Mainstream media, hey, they want to carry the water. They want to continue to uh, push the narrative. Hey, thanks for being with us today. Let me give you that number one more time for the James and Connie Maynard Children's Hospital. It's the Children's Miracle Radio Network Radiothon. If you want to contribute, you still have uh, three and a half minutes. Give them a call, 1-800-673-5437. We got to run. See you on Monday. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.